0: non-stop sports talk continues with a look at nashville's teams and at news around the nation from the lead writer of 104.5 the Zone.com. this is the big six the big six with jason martin presented by renter's warehouse and here we go Straight up 6 o'clock by my watch means it's time for the one and only Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. Glad to have you with us. Blessed to have you as a part of my audience. My name is Jason Martin. You can follow me on Twitter at jmartzone. I say it every night. Blessed beyond measure, all reasonable, all unreasonable, all every kind of possible blessings that a man could have in his life. I seem to have in my favor right now. I hope that this finds you and yours doing just as well. I hope you recognize how blessed you are in your own life. If you want to have a faith-based conversation, my DMs are always wide open on Twitter, at jmartzone, to have those discussions. If not me, I hope you find somebody that you trust to do just that. So I want to talk tonight about money. Well, I want to talk about several different things. I could sit here for 21 minutes and say nothing, like Jeremy Pruitt did in his opening statement at SEC Media Days. But one, I'm proud of them for doing that. I mean, you pretty much get nothing said at media days that you could really sink your teeth into unless you're just really gripping or you're trying to find just an interesting tidbit. Most of the information is just, all right, can these guys talk? And what exactly did they say? Even though they're probably trying their best to say nothing. And that's generally what we have gotten from media days in the past. You do have a less Miles here and there, but Jeremy Pruitt pretty much stood there and said football things about a football team that's going to be playing football games during a football season later on this year. So I want to talk about money. I do want to talk about the NFL a bit, and I want to talk about the NBA. And I want to talk about specialization in youth sports, a fascinating piece that was written by Baxter Holmes, a two-part, actually, kind of deep dive at ESPN.com. He does a great job. Anything he writes, anything Seth Wickersham writes, one, you know it's going to take time to get through, but once you do get through it, you're going to learn things that you probably did not know otherwise. And so I think I'll start with the Baxter Holmes thing because it should hit home to everyone out there that has a child or that is planning to have a child that's going to be involved in, youth sports in some ways. And what that is is we are seeing an epidemic, and it seems to be happening in pro basketball more than anywhere else, but it's happening in a lot of different places where kids are becoming so focused on playing one particular sport that they're not working out their entire bodies properly. And as a result, their bodies are peaking at age 16 and 17. Before they start breaking down, by the time they could even potentially make it to the pros, their bodies are already on the decline because of how much they've put them through. And the example that starts this article out is Julius Randle, who of course played at Kentucky and arguably had more hype going into Kentucky before you ever saw him play for the Wildcats than did Zion Williamson at Duke last year. 14 minutes into his first NBA season with the Los Angeles Lakers, he broke his leg. And so their strength and conditioning coach sat there and studied the replay and said, you know what? He took off normally. He landed normally. There was no collision in between. You remember what happened to Clay Thompson? There was a collision there that maybe forced him to land a little bit awkwardly. Nothing dirty, but just a collision. But DeFrancesco is this guy's name. He said, there's no culprit. There's no explanation. His leg snapped. That's just all it was. And so he worked at an outpatient physical therapy clinic outside of Boston, Massachusetts. And he looked at a bunch of athletes that had come through with serious injuries to their backs, to their hips, to their knees, certainly to their legs. And he thought, looking at this, the stuff that he saw reminded him of guys that had worked for decades in high-labor jobs, that that's how bad their bones were, that's how bad their muscles had been stretched. All of these different kinds of things. And then he gets further and he says he's going to NBA pre-draft combines and he's going to guys' individual workouts as they're working out for various teams to see where they're going to go in the NBA draft. And as he's looking at these high-level college players, he's seeing guys that cannot perform what he calls basic movements, that's squats or lunges or even balancing on one leg, that guys were already moving so poorly that he expected, didn't think that it was possible, but absolutely, quote, expected, unquote, them to suffer injury that there had not been time to repair all of these issues. And so you find out later that Julius Randall had a stress reaction, which was a precursor to a stress fracture, not with a full break. But he had had so many repetitive impacts to the bone that the structure broke down, and that it was the reaction to the stress that contributed to the ultimate break later on. And so he then says this, these kids are ticking time bombs. And so then he starts to begin to talk about the AAU system and all of the specialization, which means my son is going to be a pro basketball player or he's going to play basketball. So I'm going to have him play basketball nine months out of the year or that's what he's going to specialize in. He's going to be a football player. He's going to be a baseball player. And so that's what we're going to do. And then you can get into the arguments here. And I, I know you would probably want to talk about this In terms of the travel teams and certainly the AAU circuit, which has grown exponentially in many positive ways, but also many, many negative ways. And these kids are just absolutely brutalized because of all the wear and tear on their bodies. One of the statistics that jumped out in this piece, maybe more so than anything to me, was that With all of the AAU and the travel games and all of the minutes that these guys end up playing, these kids end up playing, before they even get to college, they have played 1,000 games, a lot of them, because, and this is the case with Zion Williamson, who was the key part of the second part of this series from Baxter Holmes, Zion Williamson is worried that his brother Noah is going to be a better basketball player than he is because Zion Williamson started playing basketball at age 4, And his brother Noah started at age two. You got to be kidding me, folks. At age two? How about you just let somebody live? And I'm not even saying that his parents are at fault here. I do think parents need to start being a little bit more discerning about things that we're seeing. Because some of the stuff that comes out in this article, one of the things is, that there's always this talk about, well, kids these days are soft, they're coddled, millennials, blah, 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 all this kind of stuff. Well, the guy who used to train Michael Jordan, who was pretty much as tough as they come, remember the flu game and everything else, Chip Schaefer, Director of Performance Health for the Bulls, said that, you know, he played through any injury. In eight of his 13 seasons, he started all 82 NBA regular season games. But, When the season ended, what did Michael Jordan do? He left, he played golf, and, quote, didn't pick up a basketball again until probably a little bit before training camp in September, unquote. He might have played pickup ball with some friends, but he wasn't working eight hours a day at some gym with some shooting coach. He didn't treat every practice as if it were game seven. There were days when Michael would show up, put ice on his knees, go smoke a cigar, and then go play 18 holes of golf, and he wasn't unique in this regard. Lakers trainer said that the Showtime Lakers hardly played any basketball when the season ended. As soon as the season was over, everybody would take at least a minimum of two weeks, two to three weeks off, give their bodies a rest, let them recover, and then slowly we would do either some jogging or biking and some strength training. Zion's parents say in this article, and I guess that at least some of this was done back when he was 16 to 17 years old. As a junior in high school, by the way, he was averaging 36 points and 13 rebounds per contest. But they said all Zion does is play basketball. That's all he has time to do. That right there, I will say, is on the parents because you can change a child's schedule and make sure that there are other things that he is doing. Zion Williamson at his size, what is the thing that you are now hearing over and over again? He's going to be fat. He's, uh, he's out of shape. He's carrying too much weight. He's going to be an injury risk. He's going to be a stamina risk. He's got to lose weight. You hear experts saying it. You see media people writing it. I feel sorry for Zion Williamson in that way. And they joke about him and say because he's in New Orleans, he's going to eat himself right out of the NBA. Zion Williamson, I think, is going to put a lot of pressure on his own body. He probably is carrying a little bit of extra weight, but the explosiveness, this is an interesting way to look at this, but because I worked in pro wrestling, I can go here. There is sort of a philosophy in pro wrestling that you learn real quickly as you get into the industry, that is, your body only has so many bumps in it. Bumps are landing on the mat, landing on the floor, taking a fall, your body crashing into the ground and suddenly stopping. Eventually, your body is going to have had enough of that entire situation. And so, every bump that you take, you're getting closer to the last one you're going to be able to take. So every time you take a jump... Every time you go and dunk and land, eventually your body is going to have said, look, that's enough. There's a story in this piece about Jaron Jackson, who plays for the Memphis Grizzlies, who came out of Kansas. And what they were telling him out of Kansas is every time he would be at practice and would leave his feet, they say, okay, you might have cost yourself $1,000 right there. Every time he dunked, yep, you lost yourself $10,000 right there. And they would say, you're costing yourself hundreds of thousands of dollars with what you're doing in practice because of what it's doing to your body. And this specialization where guys like Zion Williamson at age four from that point on are playing basketball and are running up and down the court and are destroying their knees and are going through all of this. There's this deal about how when he was 15 years old, Zion Williamson had air casts and all of these things and sleeves on his legs after games just to try and fight off some of that issue, some of that pain, some of those problems and that there was a game in which he had bruised his knee because he kept slamming his knee into the ground after he landed. That doesn't sound very good, does it? And when it comes to pro wrestling again, I watch this firsthand. Eventually, if you want to keep going, you fall into that trap of SOMA and muscle relaxers or opioids or things that are going to destroy your life and turn you into an addict and, and leave you penniless, potentially, in the end, if not worse You know, we've seen our share of overdoses, many of them accidental, that have happened as a result of things just like that. But these kids are getting to the league, and you are seeing more and more injuries early on in NBA careers that should not be happening because they are ones that are supposed to happen after time. Like once you get older, yeah, your body is going to start betraying you a little bit more. But this past season in the NBA, And in 2017 and 18 as well, the number of NBA games lost to injury or illness surpassed the 5,000 mark for the first time in over 15 years. In 2017, players who had been named to multiple all-star teams missed an average of 14.6 games due to injury, which was the second highest such figure ever recorded. This past year, it went to 17.02. The four highest tallies of games missed by young players in their first two years in the NBA have occurred in the past four years. 838 games in 2014's first round, which was the highest at the time. 2015, 637. 2016, 548. 2017, 751. And so the question is, why is this happening? And general managers and Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA, has come out and said this, but it's not really just an NBA story. It's everything, and I want to equate it to what I do for a living and what my specialty is, but I want to talk about, I want to answer a question that I'm asked a lot, especially by students or people that are younger in the industry that are trying to break into media, particularly into sports media, and don't know how to go about it and want advice as to what they should do. And even though I am by no means perfect, I have become incredibly lucky to have been around the right people who I've been able to trust and who have not let me down and who have kept me in their minds and have helped make things happen for me. But I'm going to give you that advice next, and I'm going to apply it to this very story because this is something that people need to be paying attention to because by the time you get to the league, if your career is going to be shortened dramatically – because of all of the wear and tear that was put on you on the way trying to get there. I think that you are limiting yourself. There are skills that you learn in different sports where you can play sports all year round, even though you probably should take some time off. But if you're doing the same movements and nothing but those movements over and over again, particularly basketball, I would say, but tennis is probably way up there as well with the starting and stopping, you are decimating your body. We'll be right back. I want to tell you about this analogy as it applies to my business. Coming up, this is The Big Six on 104.5 The Zone. So, back to The Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone on a Tuesday here in New York City. I'm Jason Martin. You can follow me on Twitter at jmartzone. We're brought to you by Renters Warehouse, dedicated to putting homeowners on the path to financial freedom through rent estate, renting your home without having to do the hard stuff. Renters Warehouse, The Rent Estate Company, so I'm talking about this Baxter Holmes series, a two-part series at ESPN.com, talking about specialization and injury rates in youth sports, and how they are alarmingly high, because these kids are not—they're beating themselves up long before they even make it to a college, much less to a pro team. And the NBA is kind of, sort of, the test league here, and it seems like that's where you're seeing most of the problems. And I think it's because of the physical toll that playing basketball does to your body maybe more so than other sports just because of the movements involved but I'm going to read this directly from the piece I don't usually read directly but one it's well written and two when I get to the actual it's not a punchline because it's not funny at all but when I get to one line I feel like it's going to have more emphasis If I'm writing it in context or reading it in context, so here this is, the orthopedic surgeon leans over the right knee, two dime width incisions already sliced on each side. Now comes another, just behind and below the knee. This is where he'll draw out a shiny tendon that looks like a fresh shoelace dripped in cream. A hamstring. There are four such tendons to choose from and they will grow back within nine months, but the surgeon only needs two. They will be used to help replace the torn anterior cruciate ligament in the knee. An injury suffered on the football field when its owner, during a game with friends, planted his right foot and collapsed. A fellow in training and a scrub technician stand beside Dr. Narav Panja as he steadily guides the scalpel and maneuvers an arthroscope. A small tube with a camera at its end, inside the knee, sending back footage into two flat screen monitors nearby. His 39-year-old hands move with the efficiency and certainty of someone who has performed this procedure 600 times before, which he has. The steady beep of a heart rate monitor fills the operating room. A ventilator hums while the patient's chest rises and falls. Outside, a gray sky spits rain on a late Wednesday, Tuesday afternoon in Walnut Creek, about 20 miles from Oakland. Typically, a procedure to reconstruct a torn ACL might take 60 minutes for an adult, but this one is taking longer because the x-ray technician is wheeling over the machine after almost every maneuver and because each x-ray is scrutinized to make sure that nearby growth plates, which have not yet closed, are not endangered. Extra time is also taken to ensure the meniscus, the cushion of the knee, is repaired to prevent the early onset of arthritis. These steps would not be taken on an adult who has stopped growing, but this is not an adult. It is a nine-year-old boy. I just wanted to let that sit for just a second. That from Baxter Holmes' article, part two, is called Under the Knife, exposing America's youth basketball crisis. It was a kid that was playing. Now he there was another one five years ago, an eight-year-old who had ruptured his ACL playing four or five days a week, doing drills all the time, playing and landed wrong. His ACL popped, and the doc at the time couldn't believe such an injury could have happened to someone so young. He estimates that five years ago, he would see about 1,500 pediatric sports injuries perform maybe 150 surgeries, that meaning ACL, cartilage, shoulder injuries, in a single year. And now, last year, 6,000 pediatric sports injuries and 400 surgeries, with more than half of the operations now on those under the age of 14. I don't even know what to say. Kids are are playing so hard on these travel schedules. And that's what Zion's parents realized. Zion's parents realized watching him. They said they were so exhausted going to all of his games that they could then they started to finally realize, "Wait, what are we doing to him?" And both of them his his father played college ball at Clemson, his mom ran track in college. So this is an athlete's family. And so they started to limit some of the invites that he would take. He would only play in four tournaments instead of all the things he was playing in but he had already done a lot of damage. But they realized that there's a lot of basketball that's left for him to be played when it actually counts. And so they have to start being careful. We talk about load management in the NBA and guys taking time off to rest. This whole adage of you've got to be tough and play all the time, that's got to go in 2019. I know the rap on Marcus Mariota at the end of last season. I told you I didn't buy it then. I certainly don't buy it now. The soft moniker does not fit. The injury-prone moniker, you can make that argument. I think it's just he's been incredibly unlucky and his body has betrayed him. I still think that body betraying him means that you probably should not pay him unless he goes and has an otherworldly season, but we'll be talking a lot of Titans in the coming weeks. But these injuries happening to kids because they're specializing in one thing and because they're not giving them their bodies times to heal but one of the people that, that tweeted me at JMartZone a little bit earlier about this whole topic made a very, very good point. And he said, outside of injury prevention, there are transferable skills between several sports. For instance, soccer to basketball, court vision and passing, tennis to basketball, lateral quickness, footwork, playing angles, and the list goes on. Absolutely right. And here's where I want to get to the analogy that I teased at the end of the first segment. People ask me, regularly and often, how they can follow in my footsteps and certainly in the footsteps of those that have achieved much greater heights than I have. And I immediately have to first say, look, the first thing you need to do is open your Bible because the Lord and Savior is the reason for everything that I have. All glory to him. But if you want just pure advice from the professional realm, The best thing that I can tell anybody and the first thing that I tell anybody is just do everything, everything that you possibly can. Do not say, I'm going to be a TV star, so that's all I'm going to go for. Do not say, I want to be a radio host, so that's all I'm going to go for. Do not say, I'm going to be a writer and limit yourself to that. I screwed around and wasted a lot of time in the late 90s because I was young and dumb at NC state and I left NC state and I chased a dream of pro wrestling for about 10 years, foolishly wasting more time, but having experiences that I think contribute to who I am today. And so I'm happy that I went through those challenges because I don't know if I would have learned and grown in the way that I needed to, had I not made so many mistakes along the way, but I went back to Western Kentucky university as an adult and I put my head down and I said, okay, You know what you're capable of. You haven't lived up to it before, but you can now. And I did. But one of the things, one of the voices that would continually kind of softly move me in the right direction was, don't think about money. Don't think about audience. Don't think about what level it is. If you get an opportunity, you take it. And so I interned here at The Zone, and I interned in Bowling Green for a news talk station up there, and I was doing that simultaneously I was writing about high school football for a publication in Kentucky and became a play-by-play commentator for a new streaming service where money was scarce, and I'm still not sure I've ever been fully made whole, and that's okay. That guy was good to me outside of that, and I don't think that it was an intentional thing. I just think sometimes you dream big, and the receipts come due, and you just don't have everything that you think you're supposed to have. I forgave that long, long, long ago. He is a good man. And then I found a job here. I was hired before I was able to graduate, but I was also pretty quickly after that allowed to host a few things, but I was doing the board op stuff like Ryan and those guys do for me every night and do such a wonderful job behind the scenes. I always wanted to be on the other side of the glass, but I knew to get there, at least I could stare through that glass to where I wanted to be and make the most of the opportunities that I had while I was here And I lost money working and driving from Bowling Green to Nashville. I lost money, and I couldn't get insurance because it wasn't full-time and all of these various things. But what was I doing? I was doing the play-by-play stuff on a streaming service online. wasn't even on the real radio. I ended up with a couple of shows, one on the weekends here on The Zone, and then we created Squared Circle Radio, which is still going and approaching its sixth year on the air here on The Zone with two of my closest friends in the world. And... Happened to be in the right place at the right time when Clay Travis was doing his weekend show here, recording it for NBC at the time. And I just approached him and asked if he might want somebody to write about TV and film. And from there, I started writing for him. And then from there, and I'd already been writing for SB Nation. I wrote to them, and I was writing for free for them. And they eventually decided, hey, I think we're going to pay you a little bit. And so they started to pay me. I'd written for websites Years and years passed about pro wrestling as well. Only one of those came with any money attached, and it was a very meager monthly sum. When I realized, okay, you're not going to get rich doing this, but if you pay dues, maybe down the line there's going to be opportunities, that helps. If I had just specialized, like, I'm just going to be a basketball player, so I'm not going to play anything else. Jeff Schwartz is co-hosting with me on Outkick the Coverage all week. Jeff Schwartz played basketball, baseball, and football at a relatively high level. Football was the last thing that he started playing. Football's the thing that he made his living in for eight years in the NFL. And it's now what he's an expert in. With his brother, maybe the best right tackle in the NFL right now with the Kansas City Chiefs as well. If he had just wanted to play baseball, which really was his favorite sport, Jeff, and doesn't make the MLB, he never even finds out what football's able to do for him. And he even said this morning that football and the way he was able the way he was able to take care of his body and he had to go through seven different surgeries at different times at least those other sports trained parts of his body that did not get injured and so what i'm telling you in terms of relative to what i do for a living is i did everything so that i could be versatile enough that if something opened in media in any capacity writing television radio production whatever I could be near the top of somebody's list because I had that tool in my toolbox. There were things I was better at than others, and there were things that I wanted to do more than I wanted to do others. But I didn't have the luxury nor the leverage to say no to any opportunity because this opportunity today could lead to who knows what a year from now. And I can tell you many stories about how it's worked out for me and people have heard me at the right time and all of this kind of stuff. But generally speaking, if I had specialized and said, I want to do TV, I don't know where I would be right now. Probably not in media at all, because I would have limited myself. I would have taken one piece of the pie instead of having the entire pie available to me. And if I am a kid, not in media, but one wanting to play sports and my parents want to push me to this, I would hope they're not going to push me to start playing when I'm four years old. I'm sorry. I'm not, saying, I'm not judging anyone that has done that. I can tell you that that's not going to be my philosophy as a father. In no way. One, I'm never going to push sports or anything else on a child that isn't interested in it, even though I'm sure that they'll play something or they'll find something that's right for them. But past that, I don't really want a 35-year-old or a 30-year-old human being to barely be able to walk and not be able to enjoy the quality of life. And so I think that this article, this two-part article from Baxter Holmes, exposes the problems that come when parents are trying to live vicariously through their children. Now they want to make money as well, and they want their kids to succeed. So there's a lot of positive here along with the negatives, just like LeVar Ball. LeVar Ball is not a bad guy. LeVar Ball loves his sons and wants him to succeed, to a fault, to a major fault. But he was a very present father. There was no absent father, no absent parenting going on here. He cared and loved his three sons. But sometimes, to love them, you have to stop them. And that's what Zion's parents figured out. And they started to be a little bit more careful about all of the things that could have potentially cost him down the road. The AAU schedule is probably never gonna change that's according to the article as well so quote what you can do is make these guys better at withstanding the demands of playing so much we can provide them with that this is from like a therapy clinic as well we can quantify and understand their inefficiencies so they can address them and become more well-rounded so they can go play every weekend and have a body that will still work but as they continue to go on through and just all of the stories of what these younger kids, especially the ones that are around the 13 and 14-year-old age are, is it no wonder why their bodies peak at 16 when they used to peak at 23 to 25, which is what's supposed to happen. So keep an eye on this. Keep an eye on how many injuries you're seeing to young players in the NBA and in sports, period, and start to consider whether less is more early on in life, just because you need to be elite to make the NBA, look, I would just rather my son or my daughter feel good physically in their 50s rather than making them shoot an extra two hours and take so many jump shots that their knees are shot before they make 30 and they can't even kneel to actually play with their children later on in life, much less when they become grandparents. It's at least food for thought, it's a fantastic article. I'll tweet it out from at JMartZone. We'll be right back. Big 6, 104.5 The Zone. Zone. Welcome back to the Big 6 here on 104.5 The Zone. I'm Jason Martin on Twitter at JMartZone. Hosting Outkick, the coverage every day this week and a couple of days next week as well, and for a full week coming up in August along with Jeff Schwartz, We'll be on tomorrow. Alan Bell, 24-7, will be in studio with us for a couple of hours. We're just going to talk a ton of NFL football tomorrow morning, take some questions as well. That's going to be a lot of fun. We love Alan, and it'll be fun to have him in studio. And you'll hear the first hour of Alkick every morning before the wake-up zone right here where you're listening to this fine show on this fine station. So I said I wanted to talk about money. We talked about the Baxter Holmes article for the last couple of segments. If you missed any part of that, subscribe to The Big Six with Jason Martin through your podcast catcher of choice. If that's Spotify, if it's Google Play, uh, certainly Apple Podcasts, wherever it is, you can get the show free delivered to you within a couple of minutes of it completing nightly. And you can go back and listen to the full archive. And I appreciate all those that already do subscribe to the podcast. It means a lot. Subscribe to all the Zone podcasts while you're at it, including just the exclusives, the podcast exclusives, Step 1 Learn Sports and Speedway Soccer. And uh, Will Bowling, who's doing a great job in our production work, he has a, a new baseball podcast that I have not gotten to check out yet. But I need to do that because I hear it's fantastic. And then I've got a pop culture podcast, if you've got time for that, called The Pop Six. Ben Simmons, five years, $170 million extension. Signed with the 76ers. I'm not sure what to say here. I understand why you would do this. He's a superstar-level player. However, he and Embiid are not a perfect match together in terms of the way that they play. And Ben Simmons cannot shoot. And I don't mean he's Zion Williamson where he's a little bit inconsistent. I mean he can't shoot a lick. That's a quote from Tracy McGrady. And there are many others that have said the same thing. Steven Jackson has said similar things. About Ben Simmons in the past as well that he simply cannot shoot how bad is this shot his jumper percentage last season 20% he is 20% his average make is five feet away from the rim but the fact I can give you 20% from the field as a jump shooter and 57% from the free throw line told you what an offensive liability he is he couldn't shoot at LSU he couldn't shoot before he got there and they still took him number one overall to Philadelphia because of everything else he does, which, look, he's a great ball handler. He's fast. He's big. He's explosive when he gets to the rim. He's a good rebounder. He's got a good basketball IQ. Not sure about his attitude. It can waver. Sometimes it's very good. Sometimes it's a little bit questionable. He seems to be more of a front runner when things aren't going well. He doesn't react the way that you would want potentially an athlete to react. He is more of a pass the buck guy. He's the one that went after the fans in Philadelphia for not cheering loud enough when they were getting trounced at one point in the postseason this past year. But if you're paying him five years $170 million, it's not just him. It's a lot of guys on that team that are making a ton of money. Embiid, of course, is making over a hundred. Tobias Harris is making big money as well. And B's got a five year, $150 million deal. Tobias Harris, five years, $180 million. Al Horford, four years, $109 million. And now Simmons, who turns 23 on Saturday, 16.9 points per game last year, 8.8 rebounds, 7.7 assists. He's 6'10. He's a great finisher. He's a great playmaker. He's a he can be a very good assist guy. However, His success is predicated on getting to the rim. And Joel Embiid's success, and where he likes to be most of the time, is in the painted area. So it's not a perfect match. What you want is Simmons to be able to explode to the hole and be able to distribute the basketball. But Embiid gets it. It's just not a... I thought Ben Simmons might go elsewhere because his agent, his representation, or he realized, yeah, I need to be in a situation where I can sort of distribute the ball. It reminds me of Butch McCray from Blue Chips when Anthony Hardaway's character in that film went to Pete Bell and said, you know, is my mom going to lose her house and job if I leave school? Because he needs to be in a different kind of West Coast offense where he's able to distribute the basketball. I think Ben Simmons needs a different situation. Some believe the same thing is going to be true in Houston, with James Harden and Russell Westbrook, both isolation players more so than anything else, and there's only one basketball. Here, it's just you where Embiid wants to spot up and where he wants to be is in the way of what Ben Simmons wants to do. And so Simmons then, a lot of times when he gets the ball, has to settle for a 15-foot jumper. And that thing's not going in except two out of ten times. But he still got paid $170 million because he's a superstar. He's somebody I thought might end up with the Lakers. Because he would have flourished in that way. He did, he can score like crazy. He is a very efficient scorer when he can get to the rim. When he can't get to the rim, he is a liability on the basketball floor on that side. But they still paid him. There's a lot of money being thrown out. We know this. Over $3.1 billion in just the first 12 hours of NBA free agency a couple of weeks ago. Then, of course, Kawhi's deal, which is going to let him and Paul George kind of determine... Look, if they're not putting around us what we want to put around, then we can go somewhere else. And Kawhi is eligible for the 35% of cap Supermax that's going to pay him the most that you can possibly be paid in the NBA after he hits that 10-year plateau at the end of year two in Los Angeles. But I guess you had to do this with Ben Simmons, whose agent is Rich Paul, another reason why I thought maybe he would end up in L.A. at some point but a five-year, $170 million max contract for a guy who can't shoot in a sport where if you can't shoot, you don't win basketball games. It is more of a jump-shooting guards league, but Ben Simmons is a guard that can't shoot outside of, again, about 5.4 feet. I joke sometimes and say, yeah, if he's outside of two feet, he's not going to make it. I mean, it's not that big. It's not like a full-on complete joke. It's a mild exaggeration at worst. So I still don't know if that mix is going to work in Philadelphia. They've got an awful lot of talent there. And he was the rookie of the year in 2017 during that season. His game has improved, but again, he shoots 57% from the free throw line, ladies and gentlemen, and 20% on jump shots. And I get why you pay him, because if he's able to ever learn how to shoot a jumper, I mean, he's going to be absolutely unstoppable. There are guys that you are willing to overpay just because you see what they could be. But oftentimes you find out, nah, what he is is exactly what he is. There are guys that you just continually believe in potential that never get to realize. Dwight Howard's one example where, oh, man, if he develops a postgame, he's going to be the most dominant player we've ever seen in the league. Well, he never developed a postgame. Sometimes it does work. Kawhi Leonard couldn't shoot coming out of San Diego State. Now he's one of the most efficient offensive players and a great scorer in the NBA. But it doesn't always work out that way. John Wall still can't shoot. He shoots a little bit better maybe than he shot at the University of Kentucky but he's still not somebody that you want taking a final shot late in the game. He's not particularly clutch. I definitely would want Bradley Beal taking a jump shot instead of John Wall. And so Ben Simmons is a guy that gives you a lot of what you want, except for the one thing that a guard really needs to be able to do because the most valuable thing that you can have other than being available and not injured in the NBA is to be able to get your own shot. Ben Simmons has a good enough handle, good enough vision, good enough footwork, good enough lateral quickness, good enough agility to get to the spot with the basketball to create his own shot. The problem is there's another part of that, and that's making the shot. And Ben Simmons, he doesn't do that very often. But it's still worth, apparently, to the Philadelphia 76ers, five years, $170 million. Another guy that wants to get paid is Melvin Gordon. Should you pay a running back like Melvin Gordon? The answer, spoiler alert, is no. I'll explain next. Big 6, 104.5 The Zone. Download the... Final segment of the program. Big 6 here on 104.5 The Zone. We're brought to you by Renner's Warehouse, dedicated to helping homeowners become rent estate investors by renting their homes instead of selling. Renner's Warehouse, the rent estate company. I'm Jason Martin on Twitter, at jmartzone. I said I was going to talk about Melvin Gordon. But I'm going to punt on that. I'll talk about Melvin Gordon and paying running backs and the treachery involved there, the danger involved there, and why I I would let Melvin Gordon walk before I would pay him what I think he wants. But I don't think he has leverage to walk away anyway. But that'll be tomorrow. I want to talk about another football player right now, Josh Norman. If you didn't see this on Friday, video released of him literally leaping over a bull during the running of the Bulls in Pamplona. I don't know what's in his contract as it relates to risk. I don't know what's okay for him to do and what is prohibited. I don't know if there are clauses that say you cannot bungee jump, you cannot ride the sky coaster at Opryland, you cannot do this, you cannot do that, you can't skydive out of an airplane, you can't jet ski. I, I, you know, There are various things, various writers and all those kinds of things that are in deals. But I will tell you this. If I work for the Washington Redskins... If I'm in the front office, if I am on that coaching staff, I am not just horrified, I'm infuriated watching my football player take a risk like this. Like, he wasn't hurt. He successfully leaped the bull. But how many YouTube videos have you seen? Some of them are staged, but not all of them. Where some idiot tries to jump over a car that's speeding at him, times it wrong, gets his knees clipped, hits the top of the car, and then lands on the ground. Then he usually gets up and he laughs, But, yeah, I mean, Johnny Knoxville and those guys did that on Jackass for years, and their bodies are halfway destroyed as well, if you've ever taken a look closely enough at it. So Josh Norman, his body is his living. Being in peak physical condition is his living. Pro Football Focus has Josh Norman rated somewhere around the 60th best DB in the NFL now. That whole I'm elite, I can take Odell thing, yeah, that is way in the rear view. He's another guy. When he was in Carolina, it was like, oh, Josh Normans, he's a stud. Nobody's ever going to be able to touch him. Then he goes to Washington, and his career, I don't think it's been elite. He hasn't had a bad career, but I don't think his career has gone maybe the way he thought it was going to, or it's certainly the way that we thought maybe it would go for him. And there are other guys like him. But if you're the 60th best DB in the league, then you better be healthy for me when it comes time for training camp, you'd better not take some dumb risk acting like nothing matters. You have to understand. I understand that you have to be able to do what you want in life. And I'm not a stickler in terms of you shouldn't do anything. I know you can get hurt doing anything. There are insane injuries every day that happen for asinine reasons in very safe locations. I could, I don't know, impale myself on this microphone stand somehow. When I try to stand up, I know these things could happen. However, I also know this. If I step outside in a lightning storm, there is a certain risk that I could get struck by lightning. Could be small. If I stand on top of this building, or let's say I I stand on top of the Batman building downtown, during the same storm, holding a metal rod up into the sky, yeah, I might still not get struck by lightning, but the risk is higher. The chances are a little bit greater that I might get struck by lightning, right? I mean, Dr. Emmett Brown, it it took him out in Hill Valley. He survived it. Marty McFly made his way back to 1985. But the lightning will come from time to time. Save the clock tower. So Josh Norman basically was standing on the Batman building with a giant metal rod. People die in Pamplona virtually every year being trampled during this running of the bulls thing. I mean, there's enough. If you saw the John Oliver piece on last week, tonight, a few weeks ago, if you didn't YouTube, it's really interesting about Everest and how many people are climbing and they're ill-equipped to do so and the dangers for the Sherpas and how it's just a money-making operation at this point and it's a vanity project for the people that are doing it. They have no interest in climbing mountains. They have interest in having a photo of themselves at the top that they can put on Instagram and social media to try and boast about. Things of that nature. Josh Norman can have fun in his life. But if you want to roam with the Bulls, how about you wait until after your NFL career is over? If it's not in his contract, the first thing that he would find when he got back from Spain is a note to come meet me in my office at which point I would have an addendum to his contract that would just have a blank where he would have to sign and next to it 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 would say, we'll not run with the Bulls in Pamplona and he would have to sign that because, oh I don't know it's ridiculous and he's worth millions of dollars and a lot of people are counting on him to be physically fit and able to walk or breathe in order to actually help them win football games this year We'll see you tomorrow, and I'll see you in the morning on Outkick the Coverage. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. God bless, and good night.